him in the name of the Lord Jesus. And to hear of the great and mighty works that you have done before. And now we stand with anticipation, raises our faith and anoints us to believe that what has been asked for tonight will be granted. Thou knowest each and every one of them, all that they have requested, and we pray for them, especially, Lord, those who are so near death. Bring peace to their soul if it isn't already there. Bring healing to their body. Grant it, Lord. Bless our coming together. We, we pray, Lord, on this Wednesday night prayer meeting, that as we have assembled, knowing that wherever two or more are assembled together, you'll be with us. And we ask you, Lord, to give us your word tonight. Speak to us, Lord, and warm our hearts strangely, that we would know how to discipline ourselves for the great time that lays ahead as we believe that we're nearing the coming of the Lord. We thank thee for people now beginning to find faith dear to them and knowing what faith means, and knowing you and thanking you for services yet ahead, believing it. You're going to do something, Lord. We're waiting with anticipation, like the days of old, believing that the time is near when you're going to just raise up the windows of heaven and pour out the that God has promised in this last day. Now we ask you, Lord, to, to be with all around the nations that today we heard, so many around everywhere that's in need. Grant them their request, Lord, and we pray to see the great hand of God moving all over the world among those who are looking for this great thing. Forgive us of our sins. Chase the slob of thy spirit and thy word that we might discipline ourselves to obedient service. To obedient service to the will of God. Let us remember and try to think in our hearts what the early Christians done, what type of people would we meet if we met those who had personally been in contact with you, how their faces must have lit up with faith and joy, how their lives must have been the living Word of God, just written epistles read of all men as they walked in and among people. God grant it once more. May our lives be so submitted to Thee that the Holy Spirit will live itself through us and speak through us, Lord. May we remember in our minds as we walk up on the street and rub arms with the world, we're not supposed to be like those. We step aside and give them the place, Lord, in their rightful position here on earth. We'll take the back seat knowing that we are delegates from another world. Amen. We have a kingdom that's coming into power, and our great king will soon arise and take over all the kingdoms that's in his domain, and he shall rule and reign with him here on earth a thousand years and be with him forever. With this in mind, Lord, now we look forward to the answer of our prayer. We look to our confession that if we have did anything said anything or thought anything that was contrary to your great will, let the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse us. Lead us, Lord, as the sister said tonight about she and her husband on the road to Chicago, 
lead them, Lord God, to the place that you can use that they might be beams of light to others who are groping in darkness that knows not our Lord Jesus. And we commit the service to you and listening for your word of correction that we might know how to prepare for this great hour. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Still the brother and pastor. Thank you, brother. I was a little bit unexpected at this. I, being here at home, I felt like if I wasn't really, I had to go somewhere, emergency, I'd feel very bad to be sitting at home and I'd come to prayer meeting. And I kind of dropped in unexpected to myself, even to my family, and just got in and tucked right off. And so I said, I'm going down to prayer meeting, and she didn't even have time to get ready to come, so she didn't know I was coming. So I'm happy to hear the sister's testimony there, the brother, about that light uh, up at uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, somewhere. Greenville, was it? No, Southern Pine. Southern Pine. Yes. Brother Lee Vale was just here today. I baptized him today in the baptismal service here today. Brother Lee Vale, you know, one of the ministers there. Brother Parker Thomas. They was, um, I remember of, a, of the time a sister being shattered. It was a great confirmation, sister, to what the, uh, the Holy Spirit sometimes will let us go ahead and test our faith to see what, uh, test others' faith. When you're looking directly at something and see something and say it, others look and don't see it, they say it's not there. See? But it is there. Now, there was no one who could see that light that's hanging over Paul, but it was there. Amen. No one seen that dove coming down out of heaven and that light and form and hung over Jesus but John himself. But it was there, you see. And so then later, when I was telling the people about this light being like a pillar of fire, no one wanted to believe it, but now the mechanical eye of the camera identified that. Yeah, and I told them that the evil spirit is dark. It's just like our lives, we're shadows. And we're, if we're a light, we're, if our lives cope with the light of the day, we're walking in light. It's just like you look out and say, I see the sun in the daytime. You, you see the shadow of the sun. It's a reflection of the sun. It isn't the sun itself, but it proves that there is a sun. Amen. It proves there is a sun. And now, when I see, uh, like you sitting out there using fans, talking, that means you're living. But it's only a shadow of life because anything has got to have darkness in it to make a shadow. See? Yeah. Because a shadow has to possess so much darkness and so much light to make a shadow. And it can't be altogether dark and it can't be altogether light. If it's dark, it's real dark. If it's light, there's no shadow, nothing to make a shadow. But if it's mixed with dark and light, it makes a shadow. So we are really shadows of life. Now, you're reflecting a life from somewhere. Amen. If you are in Christian, this being a shadow, it only proves that there is a life where you can't die because this life has death in it. See? Yeah. But it's a shadow because you're living, moving creature with abilities to see, think, move and talk and the five senses of the body, but yet you know they, they're dying and there's so much trouble. You know, it can only be the, it's a reflection, see, that there's life and death mixed together. The physical has to die. But if you are reflecting by your mortal life, the light of heaven, then you're reflecting the eternal Light. Amen. Wow. Then when you die, you can no more really go to that light because that's what you've reflected. If you are of the dark world, you reflect that. And you can do go no other way but to darkness. 
see. Yeah. So we are in a reflection. So we see that as sure as the Holy Spirit reflects light and life, so does death reflect darkness. And here they both are. Yeah. Um, tomorrow, by the end of the week, maybe by Sunday, we are getting the small photograph blown up to a large size so it can be put on the billboard where your picture hangs out there on the billboard. I don't know whether you noticed it or not. And then and about a week ago in, in Jamaica, where I was missionary, we sent tapes all over the world. And the seven seals have got back into, uh, way back into the inlands of Jamaica, way in the interior. And it's very primitive back in there, behind Blue Mountain. And the natives, sometimes they have a, a tape recorder you get for them that you have to the, like the old Victrola, crank it and then let, let it play like that and every few minutes somebody has to crank it. This group had a, a little a battery, a six-volt battery or something. They were playing this tape recorder and it, it's all setting together about what's here tonight, listening to those seals. I believe it was. And while I was speaking, they noticed coming in the room came the same pillar of fire. Moved over where the tape recorder was and settled down over the top of it. And they went and got a camera and took the picture of it. And just the same one, there it is, hanging right there over it. Now we're getting it blown up so we can put it on the, the billboard out there that you can see it. We are so grateful for the grace of God that's been brought into our us into his presence in this day. Now, we are grateful for many things. Now, I think I'm looking here and see if I can find some, some notes or some, something there that I've spoken on. Again, it's some kind of a... Uh, I got some text wrote out in way back in here in a book. If I can find one, maybe the Lord will give me something to say on something while uh, we pray. Now, we're under anticipation for our Sunday. I have been speaking uh, in the messages and Sunday, kept me here a long time on why Christ thou unto me speak to the people and go forward. Now, Sunday is the healing service for the sick is to be prayed for. Now, you get around to the sick, and there's got to be some reason that the sick, when we pray for them, if they're not healed, and I want to, if the Lord will eat for just a short sermon on Sunday morning, to, so I'm going to have a healing service and pray for all the people. And uh, Billy Powell, or some of them will be here Sunday morning about 8 o'clock when the church opens, to give the people cards as they come in the door. Um, or whenever they get in. And now, um, now I want to try to believe the Lord has somehow given me a little insight on the reasons why uh, this, some people are not healed. And I, I believe it's lack of understanding. And I, I believe maybe we'll speak on that Sunday morning, the Lord willing. Now, Wednesday night prayer meeting is just a short meeting where we get together and pray as we have and associate together. Sometimes I, I believe one of the great things that I find in this day is the lack of sincerity of what we believe. Yes, yes. Uh, If God in the days of John Wesley would have done in that day what he has done today, what would it have done? In the days of Martin Luther, or what more, as what we see him doing, both proven by the church, by the spirit, and by science, and every move that's it's, it's in motion has to recognize and God's word here declaring it and telling it before it comes to pass. Amen. 
And then moving up on and prophesying and showing the very things that he said that have come to pass perfectly exactly what he said, and still we sit kind of slowful as if we wonder, well, wonder if that could mean me, wonder if it could mean just uh, the, the church and whole, uh, what if I'm really included in this? I think Sunday morning I try to talk on some of those principles that might enlighten us a little. Now, tonight, I found something just turned to it here before I come down. I thought, what a brother Neville, if I'd get down there and he'd have to say, get up and speak and just sit down. <laughs> I thought, I'd better write down a couple of scriptures because uh, I know he, he's such a lovely brother and we, um, we appreciate him. Before we pray over the words, I want to recognize a, a brother, I can't even call his name at this time, two of them. They are here friends of mine. Uh, they're ministers and evangelists in the field going out. They heard these messages by tape, and they're out of different denominational churches. Two young fellows, and the boy is so, one of them so interested that he flew down to Tucson just recently and closing out a meeting. I believe I was in the businessman's breakfast, and a young fellow, fine young fellow, come down, and he's, they're from Kansas. And they come all the way here for me to marry them. I appreciate that, to think that people are believing your prayers enough to believe that God would hear and answer young people starting out in life like this. And when they got here for me to marry them yesterday, they find out the state law of Indiana requires them, even though with their blood test, to wait here in the state three days before they can be married. So they cannot be married until Friday morning. Amen. And I asked our brother there on the end uh, if he'll just stand up and tell us who he is and his lovely little uh, lady there and the next brother. Thank you, Brother Brown. It's a privilege to be here. And I'm Brother Roger Thank you very much. We certainly wish these young ambassadors for the work of the Lord Jesus, God's blessings to speed them on the way. And as I'm wondering, waiting for the coming of the Lord and see young men and young women with a purpose and heart to serve Christ, that thrills me to see them raised up like this. The Lord bless you richly, my brother and sister. Now, let us turn over to a little book that I never spoke out of before in my life. And it's a very, just one chapter. It's a book of films. And uh, <laughs> I'm just a little bit Irish. And I, and I do have a wire around my bottom teeth <laughs> to hold a couple in the back in place. Uh, I, sometimes I don't pronounce these names right. When I do know what they are, and sometimes I can't pronounce them right for the lack of education. So, Philemon, someone said back there, which I think is really the correct pronunciation of it. Now, the first verse, I want to take just a word or two for it. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to use tonight as a text, the Lord willing, is a prisoner. Amen. 
Now you can hardly imagine Paul regarding himself a prisoner, a born, free man, filled with the Holy Spirit, but yet he calls himself a prisoner. And now we find out when he's addressing the Corinthians, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Another time, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. By the will of God, when he's speaking to Timothy and different ones, now when he's writing here to Fleeman, he says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle. I'd like to preach one night on that. Paul, uh, a servant. Preach on that. And then Paul, a prisoner. But tonight, being it, it takes hours to duly consider one of the subjects I'd like to take tonight, Paul, the prisoner. And take the subject of a prisoner. Now let us bow our heads just a moment. Lord Jesus, any man that's physically able can pull back the pages of this Bible. But only the Holy Spirit can interpret it in the light that it's been meant to. We ask him to come now and help us to understand what this was addressed, this great, mighty prophet, Paul, and yet call himself a prisoner. May the Holy Spirit reveal this to us as we wait on him. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, I can imagine... Uh, Paul, when he wrote this letter to Philemon, how he was uh, sitting in jail uh, down there in the dungeons of this city, uh, a prisoner, and he could well know by his position what the word meant. He was surrounded by, by, by bars. He could only be let free as someone would let him go free. And he knew what it was to be a prisoner. And then again, I believe that the, the apostle meant just a little, not exactly addressing it to his prison condition, as being a prisoner of his, his physical being sitting here in this, in this uh, jail. But I believe he was referring to his, his being, his his, his spirit, his will, Amen. being a prisoner to Jesus Christ. Now, we're all born a free moral agent to make any decision that we wish to. God justly does that because he must put every man on the same basis or he put the wrong man on, he put the first man on the wrong basis that he put on free moral agency. See, we're just exactly like Adam and Eve. There's no difference. Right and wrong sits before either one of us. Life and death, we can make our choice. Amen. It's up to you to make it. See, that's the way Adam and Eve did. And see, and, and they made the wrong choice. And now by that, put the whole race of human race under death, the penalty of death. And then God came down in the form of man and took that death and paid the penalty of death that the, his subjects that desire to to be free, could go free. Now, if he took us without the same uh, way that he did Adam and Eve, just pulled us through something, said, I'll save you, whether you want to save or not, then he put Adam and Eve on, on the wrong basis. But each one of us has to choose this day between death and life. We can do it. As I just expressed, 
if your life will prove, your life will prove exactly what side you're on. I don't care what side you say you're on. What you do every day proves what you are. You've heard the old saying, your life is so loud, I can't hear your testimony. See? Your, your actions is so loud. I've always believed in shouting and jumping, but I've always said, don't jump no higher than you live. Because <laughs> the world's going to watch that. You see, you must just, uh, jump as high as you live. So, because somebody's watching you, and now when people won't come to church, they, they, many of them just won't do it. And some of them not coming is sincere people. They've seen so much corruption in the church until they don't want to have anything to do with it. And many times, we're speaking on a flat thought of that, you can hardly blame them. See, because of, of the way the people act, they call themselves Christians. They're the greatest stumbling block that the world's got, is a man and woman who professes to be a Christian and lives something different from their profession. Exactly right. That's where the disappointments will be coming at the judgment. Now, the sinner, the bootlegger, the gambler, the adulteress, he, he won't be uh, disappointed to hear his sentence read to depart into everlasting fire. He won't be disappointed. But that fellow who's trying to hide himself behind some kind of a church profession, that's the boy who's going to be disappointed at the day of judgment. See? That professes to be a Christian and lives some other way. It'd be better for him that he never did even make any kind of profession to start at all than to start and live something different because he's the greatest stumbling block we got is for that yeah. professor that says that he, he, he is a Christian and lives something different. Always don't judge your life by how much power you have to perform miracles. And we don't judge yourself by how much knowledge you have of the Word. But always judge yourself. Look back and take an inventory of what kind of a fruit that the life you presently live now is bearing. I preached some time ago at a businessman's meeting in Phoenix, Arizona, of uh, the reflection of Jesus, a reflecting Christian life. I said I was born up here in Kentucky, where it's very primitive, especially back when I was a kid. And this certain little boy never had a, a, a home like we have here. Or uh, we had so many pretty ladies that had to look through mares all through the house to keep their hair just in place and so forth. But he had one little mare, just a little piece tacked on a tree on the outside where the wash bench was, where his mother and father washed and they combed their hair and so forth. And this little piece of, of an old mare tacked on a tree. Frankly, that's the type of a home that we have. Anybody want to see a mare? We kids, we had to get a box and get up on the wash bench and look at this piece of a, of a mare that I picked up myself in a dump. That wasn't down in Kentucky, that's here in Indiana, up on a Utica Pike here. Now, this little kid had never exactly seen himself like that, so he comes to the city to visit his grandma. And at the, on the sort of room, the grandma had a house that had a complete mare on the door. And so the little boy running through the the room seen another little boy in front of him. And the little boy was running also, so he thought he should stop a few minutes to see what the little lad was going to do. And when he stopped, the little boy stopped. When he turned his head, the little boy turned his head. He scratched his head, the little boy scratched his. 
Friday walked closer to investigate, and he turned around, and his mother watched him and his grandmother with amazement. Said, "Why, well, mother, that's me." So I said that we too are reflecting something. See, our life is reflected. And now, if we lived in the days of Noah, whose side would we take? What side would we take in that great uh, day that Noah lived? What side would we take in the days of Moses? What side in the days of Elijah the prophet, when all the world was gulped up in a, a great a mess of, uh, of modernism, like the modern Jezebel, and had read all the servants of the Lord out into a worldly way, and the church and the priests was all bowing to her, would you tuck the side of popularity, or would you stood with Elijah? Uh, now, in the days of the Lord Jesus, when we think of this unpopular person, uneducated by the world, no schools they could ever find that he went to, and, and no, no seminary experience, and, and then raised up with the name of illegitimate birth, and then come out preaching a gospel that was contrary to anything that they had been taught, and condemning the ministers and their organizations and so forth, and the organizations that made uh, uh, a statement that if anybody even went to hear this so-called prophet would be put out of the synagogue, which was a, a model sin. There had to be a, a touted only way they could worship was under the blood of the Lamb. They had to come to this sacrifice. And, and then they were outcasts, and what a great thing it was, and this man ignored such as that. And yet he was perfectly with the Scripture, but not in the way they knew it. What side would you have took? See? Now, the, your life that you live now reflects now just what you would have done then, because you still are possessed with the same Spirit. If you take that side down with them, you'd have done it then. Because the same spirit that's in you now was in people then. See, yeah. the devil never takes his spirit. He just goes off from one man onto another. God never takes his spirit either. It goes from one to the other, see? So the very spirit was up on Elijah, come up on Elisha. Same one on John the Baptist and so forth. The Holy Spirit was up on Christ, come up on the disciples, all down and still up on the people, you see? God never takes his spirit. So there we are left to make a choice. And I, I can't see here where Paul was regretting uh, anything and saying he was sorry he was a prisoner, but he was addressing himself. I believe that Paul, as he wrote this letter, with that pen, that it was the Holy Spirit causing him to write that, that maybe even to this night that we might pull out the context Amen. of our text to show why Paul did this because it's scriptural and scriptural is eternal. And I believe that sitting in this dingy old jail that Paul wrote the, uh, to his colleague here, that his brother, that he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So he could express it by seeing what was around him. Now he was in jail. But that wasn't what he was speaking to this uh, this. Uh, uh, servant of Christ, a minister with him. He was speaking that he was a prisoner to the Word of Jesus Christ, because Christ is the Word. Yes, and Paul had been a great scholar in his days. He had great ambitions. He was a, 
He was a, a, a man that had been trained with a, by a people, a fellow by the name of Gamaliel, which was a great teacher of his day, one of the greatest schools that he could have went to. For instance, like we say, Wheaton or Bob Jones or some great fundamental school, he'd been taught as, as, as a minister of the Word. And he was well-educated and smart and an intelligent boy with a great ambition of maybe someday becoming a priest or a high priest to his people. He had an ambition. And then to find that these great ambitions he had been trained for and spent all of his life from maybe the age of about uh, 8 or 10 years old up to about 30 or 35 when he finished college and graduated and had all these diplomas and everything and stood in good with all the, the clergy. Even to the high priest at Jerusalem, he had orders from him, personal orders written and trusted with this great Saul to go down to uh, Damascus and to find all those down there that worship God contrary to what he said. And to find them and put them in jail. The necessary orders to put them to death if he wanted to. He was had great ambition. And now all that he had trained for, God had took it all out of him. Amen. And what his objective was, and what his father had spent his money for, and the ambitions of his father and mother was all had been taken away from him. Because that God had something else. Therefore, he was a prisoner from his objective that he had in life, and he became a prisoner to Jesus Christ, who was the Word. Amen. That road to Damascus changed Paul. Going down about 11 o'clock perhaps of the day, he was stricken down, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he looked up. And looking up, being a Jew, and know that pillar of fire was the Lord that led the children of Israel because he knew that's what it was. And remember, this Hebrew would have never called anything Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Elohim, unless he'd been satisfied that that's what it was because he was trained scholar. And when he looked up and he seen this light, a pillar of fire that had led his people through the wilderness and... Uh, he said, Lord, Elohim, Lord, Lord, who are you? And what a surprise it must have been to this theologian to say, I'm Jesus. The very one that he was so against. What a, what a turnaround. Oh, oh, it must have been something terrific for this man. But all his ambitions that he had to find out all at once he'd been persecuting. Uh, his ambitions that drove him to a, to a, farther away from the main thing that he meant to do. And what a, a great shock it must have been to this apostle Amen. when he said, I'm Jesus, the very one that he was persecuting. Why persecutest thou me? Amen. Another little a uh, quotation we might drop in here. You see, as they make fun of the church, 
they're not really making fun of the church. They are making fun of Jesus. Hallelujah. Why persecutest thou me? How could Paul then, with all of his intellect, believe that this was that this group that he was uh, persecuting was the very God that he claimed to be serving? Amen. I think that, uh, without going into details, I think we're all well trained enough to know what I mean here. Amen. The same thing is happening today. Amen. Yes. Paul, through ignorance, was yet intelligent and smart, much smarter than those uneducated Galileans that he was persecuting that had already in their humility accepted this man as Lord. Amen. But Paul, in his great teaching, in his intellectuals, could not accept that. And what a turnaround it must be to him on this road. And he was stricken blind, so he would not carry out his commission, but was led down to a place in a street called Straight, in the house of one. And then come the prophet down there by the name of Ananias, who saw in a vision him coming down. Saul, where was that? Went down to where he was and went in and said, Brother Saul, the Lord appeared to you on the road down and sent me that I might lay my hands up on you and you receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Be one of us. What a, what a thing it must have been for Paul. See, all that he had been trained to do was vice versa. Amen. So now, with, with all the education he had, it, it would just become naught to him. Now he knew that he had an experience. So here's another good lesson for us. That experience alone isn't enough. Amen. It's got to be an experience according to the word Amen. of the Lord. So him seeing this and know that it was a great something than if somebody else had received it before him, he took three years and six months down in the, the desert in Arabia, taking the, the Bible as it was in the Old Testament, and going down there to, uh, to compare this experience that he had had and see if it was scriptural. Amen. Now, what if he said, well, I guess that was just a little blowover and went on. I, I'm going to follow the interest. Now, he had to become a prison to something, a prison. So after comparing it and seeing, no wonder he could write the book of Hebrews and, and the types. See, three years and a half hour laying in the Word and finding out that the very God that called him was taking him back and changing all of his interests, changing all of the ever thought, it already trained to be all of his ambitions, just wiped it away from him. Amen. And he became a prisoner. The love of God had been so tremendous and such a, a revelation that he could not get away from it. Amen. That's the true experience of every real believer who meets God. Hallelujah. You, you come in contact with something that's so great that you, that, that you become a, a prisoner to everything else. See, you, you get away from everything to imprison yourself to this. It's expressed one time what Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is something like a man buying pearls 
Now when he finds that great pearl, he sells out everything he's got to get that one. And that's why we hear you. You have an intellectual conception. You have a, 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 a theological experience. But when it comes to a time that when you, you, you really find the real thing, you, you just sell out everything else. Amen. And you close yourself in to this. Paul knew what it was. He, was, he found out that he was harnessed to something. Amen. Like the fellow, uh, a horse in a harness. It's to, it's to pull something. And Paul knew after this experience and three years and a half of typing the, the experience he had with the Bible, he realized that God had chosen him and punished him by the Holy Spirit. The experience that he had to pull the gospel in the presence of the Gentiles. The Spirit itself harnessed him. And today, as servants of Christ, we become harnessed, hooked up. We can't go without being with us. Amen. Harnessed to the Word. No matter what anyone else says, you're harnessed to it. There's something about it that you just can't get away from. You've been yoked up with it by the Holy Ghost has yoked you to the Word and no matter what anyone else says it's the Word that's always harnessed up with it put in a yoke with it to the Word by the Spirit he was harnessed he had learned on the, this back side of the Arabian desert there when all his former things and experiences and ambitions had been stripped of those things now that's what we find today that we must be stripped first. And people don't want to be stripped. Amen. The Methodist brother wants to hold to a little bit of his Methodist teaching. Yeah. The Baptist brother wants to hold to a little bit of his Baptist teaching. Amen. But you've got to absolutely be stripped of everything. Amen. And just born again afresh and take up from there that the Holy Spirit leads. You yeah. can't say when I... My, uh, my daddy said when he uh, got in, went into church, he shook hands with the pastor. He's a good loyal member. That might have been all right for his race, but we're another race. Hallelujah. Now we must come back to the Bible times for this day. The priest was harnessed too. But you see, they come over into a, another dispensation. And they, they fail to strip off the old harness and put on the new harness. And the same thing we find today, we did come through a denominational age, as we proved through the church ages, the Bible, and so forth. But we come now to a free age where the Holy Spirit Himself comes down and vindicates Himself and makes Himself known, makes every promise that He promised come to pass. Oh, my, what a great time. And He knew that another thing. He knew he could not go to places that being harnessed to this that he would not if he didn't he wanted to go. He knew that his ambition draw him amongst brethren. Well he was invited to come and yet he was pressed in the spirit to do Amen. something else. He wasn't his own. Amen. Maybe somebody could say, uh, Brother Saul, Brother Paul, 
We want you to come over here because we've got the biggest church, we've got the biggest congregation, your offerings will be great, and so forth. But being pressed in the Spirit, Amen. he thought, I've got a brother over there, I'd like to go over and save this brother, get him to the Lord. But yet the Spirit pressed him to go somewhere else. He was a prisoner. Amen. Correctly. Oh, God, make us prisoners like that. Hallelujah. From our own selfish ambition and from our own judgments and our better way of thinking to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I think that was a great statement. I'm a prisoner to Jesus Christ. And remember, he is the Word. See? No matter what anyone else thinks, it's the Word. See, if you're a prisoner to the Word. No denomination can sway you from it. It's just a word. You're just you're a prisoner to it. That's all. Amen. You must act the way it acts. Now, he cannot go certain places that he wanted. Because why? The Spirit forbade him. Amen. You remember many times that Paul would try to go someplace thinking that's where I could have a great meeting. But the Spirit would forbid him. Amen. Now, does that clearly state and prove that Paul was a prisoner? Yes, amen. A prisoner to Jesus Christ. Harnessed to his word by the Spirit. Oh, I like that. <laughs> he was bound. He was bound by a chain, by fetters of love amen. to do the will of God and that only. Amen. He was a prisoner. He was in a fetters of love. Uh, he was in the yoke with Christ. Amen. He could yoke up with nothing else. Amen. He was yoked with him. And where the lead went, that's where he had to go. Regardless of how green the pastor looked on this side of that side, he had to go the way the leader in the yoke went. Oh, tonight, if we as the brothers tabernacle could only become prisoners to our own selfish deeds, our own ambition that we could completely surrender ourselves and be yoked to him. No matter what the rest of the world thinks, what the rest of the world does, we're yoked with fetters of love. We are prisoners. My feet is so yoked to Christ it won't dance. My eyes is so yoked to Christ that I when I see these modern striptease on the street. It turns my head. My, my heart is so yoked in love to him that I can't have love for this world anymore. My will is so yoked to him that I don't even want to know what my ambitions are. Just wherever you lead our power. See, Paul was correctly a prisoner. He wasn't making any wrong statement. He was trained by the Holy Ghost again. To wait on the word. Amen. Now he's been trained one way, but but God had trained him another way. Now he was trained by the Holy Spirit to wait upon the law. No matter what his ambitions were. Now I'm going to uh, uh, <coughs> hope for the Holy Spirit show you something. Amen. Now let's just take an instance. One day Paul and Silas coming down the street in a certain city where it's holding a revival. And a little demon-possessed girl kept following him, crying out after him. And no doubt what Paul knew that he had the authority as an apostle 
to rebuke that evil spirit out of that woman. But did you notice he waited day after day until all of a sudden the Holy Spirit spoke to him. Amen. Amen. This is the hour. Then he said, Thou spirit come out of her. See? He knows to wait on the Lord. And there's where so many people they bring reproach upon the Word. They go out with an ambition. How many revivals have been left flat because of a thing like that? Because the evangelists don't wait to see what the Lord's got to say. Some of them say, come over here. And they they go right now because the the association says go. And the Holy Spirit would say something different. Yet the ambition of the man to become the state president or or something other, or some... uh, an elder or some bishop or something was, was pulling you must go. And yet he knows better the Holy Spirit saying, go here. See, he's yoked to his organization. Amen. He's yeah, a prisoner to the organization. Yeah. Well, if he's yoked to Christ, he's left by the Holy Spirit. He's yoked to prison. Yeah. 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 Don't make it as what anything else says. It's, it's a... It's a, a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. He hears only the voice of God and he speaks only when it comes out. He says nothing. Somebody say, oh, oh Brother Jones, uh, Brother Roberts, or some of these great men in our lands today, like uh, Tommy Hicks, or, or, or Old Roberts, or, or uh, Brother Tommy Osborne, some of those great evangelists. If somebody would say, say, Come over here, honey. You're a, a great man of God, or and uh, I, I got a, a uncle that's laying over here that's, that's all bound and he's uh, he's sick. I want you to come over. I believe you have the strength to heal him. See, and maybe the Holy Spirit would say to him, "Not now," but yet to the friendship of that man, he's duty bound to go with him. Uh, if he don't. He becomes an enemy to that man. That man said, well, he went to so-and-so. He or that child or that boy, I know he did. And I've been his friend for years. Uh, And he wouldn't come to my place. But if he's constrained by the Holy Spirit not to go, he better not go. If he's close to God, his friend he loves. But he better be led of the Holy Spirit to go there because it won't do any good anyhow. I experienced that so many times. But Paul just waited for the Spirit to tell him what to do. Well, the Spirit said, he stood one night preaching and walked out there and seen a crippled man. And all at once the Spirit spoke to him. And he said, I perceive. (laughs) The same way he perceived is going to be erect upon an island. I perceive that you have faith to be healed. Stand up on your feet, Jesus Christ, because you are. Uh, there you are. He, he was he was yoked. He might have held a week's revival there and nothing had happened. But yet he waited for the Holy Spirit to save. See, he was yoked to that appeal. Now you say, Brother Ben, you're condemning what you said Sunday about you've been waiting all this time. But you remember it was the Holy Spirit that spoke to me up there on the road. Instead of sending you back amongst the sick and the sick. Amen. It's obedience to the Holy Spirit. Sure. I didn't go until he told me to do it. I was waiting for thus saith the Lord until I got thus saith the Lord. Now, hey, that's hey, man. now 
It, it makes a difference. Yes, he waited for the word along. He was pressed in the spirit to do only God's bidding. Then he become a prisoner uh, of Jesus Christ. Friends, if we could only become prisoners. I know it's hard. But I, I like to name a couple more characters. But I like to name just another character or two. Let's take the character Moses. He was uh, born a deliverer. And he, he, he knew that. That he was born a deliverer. But before I say about Moses, I'd like to make the statement that God always has to take any man that will serve him truly to be his prisoner. A man has to surrender every ambition he's got, everything that he is, every everything his life, soul, body, will, ambitions, and everything else, and become a complete a prisoner. The Christ who is the Word to serve God. You might have to walk contrary to your better judgment. Maybe in a certain organization, you might think that they could lift you up and give you something great that you might pray. But what do you find yourself? You find yourself defeated after a while. Until God can get a man that's willing to become a prisoner to Him. God is looking for prisoners. He's always done it. You might search it to the Scripture. A man has to be a prisoner to Christ. Against anything. Therefore, you cannot be connected with anything but Christ. Even your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, anybody. You're only connected with Christ and Him only. Then God can use you. Until then, you can't. Oh, yeah, sometimes it speaks up, rough to people. See, I, I'm trying to get you to cut loose. You've got to have a starting place. Like uh, sometimes calls out the women bobbing their hair and wearing these clothes and holding and maintaining their Christian profession. Say, that's a little thing. Well, you've got to start somewhere. So begin right there with your ABCs. And cut loose the worldly looks anyhow. And become a prisoner to Christ. And then just keep on cutting loose everything. The final, the last line's cut loose. And then you're, you're, you are a prisoner. Then you become in his grip. He's got you in his grip. Now, Moses knows that he was born to deliver. He knew that. And did you notice with the ambition that Moses had, knowing his mother had told him only that she was his nurse maid? No doubt when Moses, the little baby, was born, that his mother said, you know, Moses, when your dad, Amram, and I pray constantly, we know what it's seen in the Word, it was time for the coming of a deliverer. And we pray, Lord God, we want to see that deliverer. One night the Lord told us in a vision that you would be born, and you would be delivered. We wasn't afraid of the king's commandment. We didn't care what the king said. Then we know that you were born a deliverer. Now, Moses, we know that we can bring you up right. I remember they've been down there 400 years in Egypt, see? And we, we wanted to get you the, the right thing, the right education, the right, right training. So I took you and put you in a little ark and set you up into the Nile. And how strange is the currents 
taken that old oil down through the reeds and rushes and brought it right down miles away and turned it right into Pharaoh's palace where uh, his, uh, Pharaoh's daughter was, uh, where her bathing pool was. And how did, and I know that she'd need a woman to raise him. And in them days, of course, they didn't have these uh, bottles to raise the babies on, so they'd have to have a, a wet nurse. So, and Miriam, I sent her down and she stood there. And she said, well, I know where I can find a wet nurse. And come and got me. And Moses, the doors are all shut. Honey, you're 16 years old now. And you're going to be Pharaoh's son. And someday, you're going to be the deliverer that's going to take the people out of here. Moses' ambitions begin to grow. I'll study, Mother. I'll study everything I can. You know what I'll do? I'll study how to be a military man. And I'll know how to take these people out of here. I'll be a great general. Bishop, so I know how it's done, and uh, I'll, I'll take it out. I'll get my Ph.D. here, I'll, I'll do it. My part of Shinnike, if you ever read his books, all right, he's going to deliver all the Protestants, you know, and he become one himself. So, <laughs> this great priest years ago. Father Shinnike, you ought to get his book and read it. They call him Father. It's just his brother Shinnike, what it was. We don't call him Father like that. So we find it. That we, uh, he's going to read the Bible so he can get out there and disprove the Protestant religion. The big old Catholic, you might want to read the Bible. The Holy Spirit come up on him and he got the Holy Ghost. And then he'll become one of them. So then, notice this that Moses got all the training because he, he knew he was so smart, so educated, so intellectual. There was nobody. He could even teach the Egyptians. He could teach their psychologists. He could teach their, their generals what military might was. So he was a great man. And people feared Moses because of his greatness. Oh, such a scholarship mind. He was an archbishop, or maybe like a pope. He was a great fellow. And he was a, a, a mighty man. And he knew that he was born to do this. And had trained with great ambitions to do it. Just like today. I don't say that man training in these schools, I don't say that like you're out here in the West now, they're going to build a $150 million uh, school of theology. See? Pentecostal. A $150 million school. To me, that should be missionaries in the field. Amen. But whatever, what do they do when they come out of there? What are they? A bunch of rickies. And then that's how they come out with always has the rest of them, and that's the same line. See? Now we find out that when uh, Moses in all his training, and today with all the training, making big bishops and so forth, the great high ambitions, what do we do? Our ambitions become just about like what Moses was, see? God, before he could get the man in his hand, he had to strip him Amen. of his ambition. He had to strip him of all of his training. He did go out and he delivered, he killed one Egyptian. And, he, uh, and when he did, he found out that he was in the wrong. He couldn't do that. It wasn't that way. And God had to take him out into the wilderness, into the desert, a desert place. You notice, 
kind of strange how these fellows that God got a message for them, he takes them into a desert. He took Paul to the desert Amen. to train him, to tell him what all this great vision was out into the desert. Walked to a certain desert and he stayed there until God fully made known what to do. And in Moses' time, he took him out in the desert, kept him out there for 40 years, and stripped him of all his theology and all his ambition. Oh, what a time that he could look back and see his failure and how we tonight ought to do the same thing. When we see uh, our ambition, look at the healing campaigns. As soon as the Lord did something a few years ago to start restoring healing to the sick and so forth, everybody, every organization, because it didn't come into their organization, they had to get them a healer. And what have we done? Let's look at it just a moment. We have done the same thing that Moses did. We went out and tried so hard to manufacture some kind of a miracle. I smell a disease. I, I, I got blood in my hand. A manufacture a miracle. Lord help. See, and what have we got? Some of the man in such hard strains has broke up and become regular drunkards. Neurotic. I got their minds and switched all the way back to the order from the Pentecostal objective. Back to making organizations and things again. See, what have we done? Slew about one Egyptian. That's right. And we tried, we strained, we paid, we labored all night long in prayer meetings till we had no advice and and tried to manufacture something and soup up something and all these kinds of things and find it to be a total failure. We need a going back to the desert. Amen. Right. Help us. Yes, sir. Crackings and struggles. Why not just give up? Amen. That's what you ought to do. Amen. Go back and give up. Why well, we've done the same thing they did, same thing Moses did. It doesn't do any good. After 40 years, he found himself a prisoner to the Word of God. What are we trying to do when the great blessing come out and the manifestation of all these great things that God has told us about? How that we must be born again, how we must receive the Holy Ghost, the baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, and all these things here. You see, people instead of staying to that word harnessed to it, what do they do? They started with their own denominational theory, which had already failed, and try to manufacture something to look like the truth. Oh, help. I better cut off right there, see. I'm sure you're wise enough to know what I mean, see. But why, look what it's done. Think of it. What have we got tonight but a, a, a nation full of organized people who deny the scriptures of God? Amen. Amen. Who would call the, the, the light of the Holy Spirit that it was a, a mental telepathy? Who would refuse such to come into their church? And they wouldn't permit you to mention one word of serpent seed, eternal security, and the things that the Holy Spirit has revealed and proved to be the Lord. Amen. Challenge that your challenge to come into the Lord. What have they got? The same thing that Luther had, the rest of them. 
See? Slew an Egyptian. What was? What was it? Maybe made some man start stop stealing. Or maybe live true to his wife. But what did you make him out of that? A church member. Come and join our group. See? That stinking dead man was the only thing he had put his fingers to. Uh, of his success of 40 years of training. A stinking Egyptian. Laying there rotten and dead. That's about the way it is tonight. The only thing we can point to this revival's crossover so close is a stinking bunch of church members that knows more about God than a hot pot and all about a Egyptian night. But we tell them about the word of God and say, I don't believe that. I don't care what you say, I don't believe it. Amen. Yeah. That's an awful thing that's a point back to. For all the strains and struggles and everything we got. Maybe we could point to a big school, but it's dead. Amen. We could point to an organization, but it's dead. It's stinking. It's just like the first thing that we pulled out of. Like a hog going to its water and a dog to its vomit. Amen. We could turn back. One dead Egyptian. No doubt, but somebody says, Moses, hey, you got no more feeling for the people? Uh, you was called to this. Somebody that knows Moses. Nobody was called for that. Hey, don't they, if you lost the feeling of the people, no, sir. Well, why aren't you out on doing this? Why aren't you out trying this? Why don't you go on with the rest of them? Moses is out there getting stripped. Amen. <laughs> Until he had an experience at the burning bush that declared the word. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I remember my promise. And I'll come down to the liver and I'm standing you to do it. <laughs> that was him. Uh, uh, he's seen the word. Not the ambition of the people or the desires of the people. Then what did he become? He did not want to face the Egyptians anymore. He didn't want to face this thing anymore. But he became a prisoner. Amen. Forty years of home stripping down, but then he became a prisoner at the burning bush. The mighty Moses was all of his intellect. The Bible saying that Moses was a mighty man in word or in deed down in Egypt. But watch what the mighty theologian did in the presence of the burning bush. He only confessed his inability. Amen. Yes. When he seen the genuine purpose of God, he confessed that he was inability to do it, yet he was trained in all the theology that they could give him. Amen. Trained in their best schools. But yet what could he do when that pillar of fire hanging out of earth? So I can't even talk. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Lord, who am I that I should go? See? Get your shoes on, Moses. I want to talk to you. Get yourself down even your shoes. You're flat on the ground again. I want to talk to you. Couldn't even talk. Finally, an elected prisoner, an elected prophet, just like as Paul was elected. Moses was elected deliverer. And then finally, God had his elected subject a prisoner to him. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. He can only move as the word of that movie. Amen. Who shall have faced that me? I am. How will I do? I'll be with you. Yes, Lord, just as you say, here I am. Oh, my. He's a prisoner. He goes against his better thinking. Now, you've been trained to command the army. A sword's up. About face. 
baptized, go take it over. That was his training. But he said, what am I going to use so what you got in your hand? <laughs> a stick. God does things so ridiculous sometimes to the human mind. Got a stick in his hand. Whiskers hanging down. Eighty years old. Wife on mule. Kids sitting on the hips. Little old flabby arms hanging down the stick. Just his head set up where he had dust to the Lord. Oh, his fire got He was a prisoner. I only move when the word moves me. I only speak when the word speaks. Where are you going? I got one commission. Stand before Pharaoh. But this stick. That God's name. Where are you going to that? He'll provide the next thing after you do this. There you are. You've only got one thing to do the first step tonight surrender. Amen. Become a prisoner. Don't think of yourself or something else. Become a prisoner. Moses become a prisoner. Confess he couldn't even talk. Finally, when God got him in his hand, where he could only move, where God moved him. He told him the word. He knew it was the word. Then he submitted himself to the word, and the Holy Spirit, there, God, harnessed Moses to the will of God. Amen. That's the same thing he done to Paul. That's right? Amen. He harnessed Paul. Little crooked dough, sarcastic Jew. All with PhD and LLDs wrote all over him. But he said, oh, I'm going to show him what he's going to suffer for the word's sake. Amen. And then Paul sitting there and seeing the word. And seeing that that was Jesus. Then he raised up his hands and become harnessed to him. The love of God harnessed him to the word. Hallelujah. He's going to bear my name before the Gentiles. There he went. Moses, I am the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. I remember I promised them in the time of the promises near. And I see the afflictions of my people. I remember my promise. And I have come down to harness you. You know what the word says? Now, harness you to go down there, harness you with power to go down there and deliver my people. Take that stick in your hand as a witness. Because you've seen a miracle done by it. Just like David with the slingshot. Harnessed himself, and he went down. Finally, God had a man that was subject to him, harnessed to him, and could not move until the word of God moved. If people would just do that today. Then he was his prisoner. A prisoner of love. Yoked up in the bond of love with, with God. As Paul was yoked up in the bond of love to God. Just like Paul. Both of them trained the same way. Moses trained, you know, to deliver the children of Israel by military might. Paul trained to take them out of the hands of the Romans and let them free. By great ecclesiastical force in the world that day. Great schools of training come up under the media, and both of them went to the desert, come back different men. Both of them saw the pillar of fire, and both of them were prophets. Hallelujah. That right? Both of them prophets, and they both were talked to by the pillar of fire. Exactly right. Coming for the winter, there they was went to the desert, left their homes, and went to the desert to find out, left their peoples and everything, to find the will of God. 
See? They were trained in one way, God changed them to another. And they had to become a complete prisoner to not act in the way that they wanted to act, but act in the way that God wanted them to act. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Have we got another ten minutes there to make I'll real quickly get to another character. I see one before me now. His name is Joseph. He was an elected son. He was a perfect type of Jesus Christ. He was born a prophet. He's a prophet also. And now he could see visions. And when he's a little boy, he saw a vision of himself sitting on a throne and his brothers dying to him. But what? He was kind of, he felt like he's a great guy. See? And all of them, what did God have to do? He done the same thing that he did to the rest of them. Because Moses was a deliverer, Paul was a deliverer, and now Joseph was a deliverer. He saved his people from the famine. What did God have to do to him? Put him in prison. Having him right straight to the prison. Yes, sir? Remember, he was sold by his brother to an Egyptian, and they sold him to Pomper, and Pomper uh, gave him a little bit of liberty, and uh, first thing you know, that was taken from him, and there he sat in the prison, crying, crying, God had to strip it. Now notice, but all the time I believe he, in that prison, he could remember that the vision said that he's going to sit on his throne, <laughs> and his brothers is going to bow to him. Because he knew that his gifts come from God. And he knew that it was had to come to pass. If we could only keep that in our mind. But according to the word of God, in this last days he's going to have a church. He's going to have a people. And these things that he promised, he's going to do them. He's saying one. And we're living in the time. We're there. He's just trying to get us to be real prisoners now. Locked in with him. You hear that old song you sing, and then I'm going to shut in with God? Yeah. I want to be shut in with God. Now, that's where I thought about this. <laughs> Being shut in with God. Nothing else. You only move when God says move. You only do as God says do. Then you're shut in with God. Now remember, he was thinking. He also became a total failure to himself. All that he knew, all that he understood and everything, he became a total failure. It didn't work. He was put under a situation to where that nobody would listen to him. He was a prisoner. See? He was put into a situation that unbelievers would not believe. You see how it means? His ministry was of no effect. The people turned their heads. They wouldn't pay no attention to him in prison. What good would his ministry do? He might stand to the prison bars and preach to him. They'd walk on down the street. See? But he become a prisoner. God kept him a prisoner until the wheel got rolled up behind the street. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. Total failure. Finally, God can't do it in his prison. Like Paul, like all the rest of them, he came to him and he used the gift that he had given to get him out of there. Amen. 
He brought him from his prison. What did he do? As soon as he brought him from his prison, he was given power by the king, his king. They set on the fire that he was under. He was brought from the prison house and given power to whatever he said had to happen. Amen. Amen. In his prison, he constantly remembered he was born for a purpose. He was going to set by a king and all the rest of us going to bow a knee to him. His vision told him so. Amen. But before his vision could be completely fulfilled, he had to become a prisoner. Amen. And then he become a ruler. And when he come from his prison house, and become a prisoner of the Word of God that he can only say what God put in his mouth to say, then God moved through. That Moses had power to bind Pharaoh's prince. That is all will. If you say to this mountain, be moved. Hallelujah. He had power to bind Pharaoh's prince. Whether they were deacons or pastors or whether they were state representatives or whatever they were. Amen. He said, I'll bind you. Amen. <laughs> so they were bound. Amen. That was it. He could do it in his own words, his own pleasure. Yes. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, I just got about three more minutes so I keep my word. Amen. Now, we find out that he, he become a prisoner to God. From a prisoner to the world, from Paul the same way, and Moses the same way, from a prisoner to his own thinking, to a prisoner to God. And when he come out, he had the power of God. And when he become Paul, when the own thinking of Moses, he was surrendered it and stripped of it, he become a prisoner to Christ's word, could only move wherever... You say Christ, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater treasures than that of Egypt. Amen. So he was a prisoner of Christ just like Paul was. And remember, all three of them were prophets. Yeah. See? And they had to be stripped of their own thinking in order to become a prisoner to the will and the ways of God. Now we remember it. Now, that he had power to bind at his own words, he had power to loose at his own words, he could say, I lose you Amen. in the name of my king. Amen. 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 Pharaoh made Joseph his son. Amen. Christ made his prisoners of love his son. And he gives them power. The same thing he had, St. John 14, 12. He that believeth on me, see, the works that I do shall he do also. Even more than this shall he do. Now, the prisoner of the love of Christ becomes empowered by his king, who is Christ. Amen. And very I say unto you, if you say to this mountain, be moved, and don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you said will come to pass, you'll have what you said. Amen. Amen. If you abide in me and my word in you, if you're yoked to me, because him and his word is the same. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word is made flesh and all the money. Same yesterday and forever. 
Right. If you abide me, not here and there, abide me in my word and you ask what you will or say what you will. Amen. 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 He had power. Glory. Notice, before he come out, he had to be taken out and shaved. <laughs> A few things had to be shaved off before he could meet his king. <laughs> oh, God, sometimes takes his people out like that and shaves a few of their own wills off. Amen. Shows them that they can't do this what they wanted to do. You know what I mean. They're not, they're not liberty to do what they want to do. Before they can come into full power and be a loved slave to Christ, they have to be shaved off and then presented. Yeah. Sometimes he takes them to the deserts to do that. Amen. To shave them off and then bring them out, the anointed one, to fulfill the purpose that he's ordained them to be. Hallelujah. You see what I mean? Brothers, we're at the end time. Remember all other times, what he's done. He's always had to take a man and make him a prisoner to him. Forsake his own. He had to forsake everything that he knows. Forget all of his trainings and everything in order to know the will of God and to follow God. He can't follow anything that man's got to do and God at the same time. It's too contrary one to another. You can't be going east and west at the same time. You can't be going uh, right and left at the same time. You can't be doing right and wrong at the same time. You can't be following man and God at the same time. No, sir, you're either following God or following man. Now, then if you are following God and have submitted yourself to God, then you become a prisoner to that God. To that word, to that will, no matter what anything else is, you become a, a prisoner to it. Listen, we're at the end time. And I would say this with reverence and respect as the last couple of minutes is floating by. Look, what God, to my opinion, will do and must do and will do in this last day is to find a tool for the harvest. He's got to find a tool to thresh the floor. Any farmer, when he goes to his harvest, he has to have a tool to do it with. So he's got to have a sharp sickle or something, some instrument to thresh out the grain. And the harvest is right. God, take us in your hands. Make us bond servants of your love. And use us for tools. To bring the realizations of this sinful, cursed earth that we're living in today, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For myself, God, let me be a prisoner. If all my brethren turn me down, if all my friends turn me down, I want to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ and his word, that I might be harnessed to his word by the Holy Spirit to see the Holy Spirit make the word of God be confirmed by the same things that he said would be done. I want to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Uh, I wonder tonight with our heads bound, if that ambition that we have of being something else, or maybe of, of something that we might think be a selfish thing, wonder if we couldn't just kind of lay that aside. Yeah. I wonder if, if some young boy here tonight look around and say, I'm going to be... Uh, when I get big, I'm going to be a certain, certain thing. I wonder if you could feel the will of God move in your life and say, no, no, uh-huh, uh-huh. My ambitions are lost now. 
the last few days, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me. I, I, I want to yield myself to God to be a thrashing instrument of this last day. Some young girl that might have ambitions of a fine lady character, or maybe a, be a pretty little missus, or maybe someday make Hollywood your career. I, I wonder if you're not willing now to submit your ambitions in the presence of God and His Word. Hear the call of God in your own life. God knows who you are. I wonder if there'd be a minister close or a servant, a worker somewhere in church. I just get in here once in a while. I, I don't know one third of the people sitting here tonight. But I just little handful that's here. But I wonder if there'd be such a person that you'd be willing to say, I don't care what anyone says. I'm God's slave now. I, I'm going to preach his work regardless. I don't care what my, when my organization turns me out, I'm still going to stay at that word. I, I'm going to do it. My will is God's will. God's will is my will. I'm going to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ by his grace and help, and I'll do it. Think of it while we have our heads down. How many has got that ambition tonight? Would you raise your hand? That's mine, too. I surrender all. With our heads bowed now, slowly now, as you think it over now, as you pray. Neville, I, getting way up 
on the ladder. Our days are being numbered now. Our steps are made more careful than what we did make them. We watch where we step. We're not as sure-footed, physically speaking, as we once were. But Lord, as we see that more life is fading out, and none of our footsteps are sure without you got our hand, now God take us, will you? Take our hearts and our will in your own hand and let us become prisoners tonight to the Word, to Christ. May we live godly lives here. May these women, these young women, these young men, boys and girls, surrender their lives, Lord. And may their ambitions become the ambition to serve Jesus Christ and let become a prisoner of His divine grace and will. Grant it, Lord. All I know to do, Lord, these little broke-up words, and I, I trust that you'll put them together rightly because it's hot in here, and people want to listen, but it's real warm, and many have to go home and go to work early, but many don't see just lay into their heart a prison. Go home and say to the wife as they... Before they get ready to get down and pray this afternoon or this evening by the bedside, look across to one another and say, Dear, what about that tonight? Have we really become prisoners to Christ and His will, or, or do we work to our own will? They, young men and young women everywhere, especially those who've heard the message tonight, ask themselves that same question. Am I willing to become a prisoner, forsaking my own life? He that saves his life shall lose it. But he that will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Father, we know that it's become a prisoner of you. Lose our own ambitions and our own desires to find yours, and we have eternal life. Grant it, Lord. Only thing I know is to commit it now into your hands and may it become fruitful and bring forth great, uh, great tools for the last day harvest. Man and women, boys and girls, surrendered to the complete will of God and become prisoners of Jesus Christ to his love, shackled with fetters of divine love. We ask that in his name. Take the name of Jesus with you. I'm going to ask that 
this brother here, uh, I forget his name, the sister testified about the vision of darkness coming over, which was healed. And remember, looking back, the veil was gone. Her faith did that. You dismiss us in prayer, will you, brother, and ask God's blessings upon us.